couple, couple of announcements. Barbecue next Sunday after church is going to be at Meadow Park in Big Bear Lake. Um, where uh, Cedar Lake was, was unavailable, so we're going to have a barbecue at, at uh, Meadow Park. Everyone come. We're going to provide the hamburgers and hot dogs. Just bring a side and a drink to share. Have a wiffle ball game. Do some different things. So come out. Bring, bring some friends, family with you. That is next Sunday, immediately after church. We have a big, exciting event coming up. And you're going to start seeing these all over the place. The power to change. The tent revival is coming up starting July 8th. Seven nights starting Sunday, July 8th through the fifth Saturday, the 15th. It's going to be a time of, of worship, music, and great preaching by Jason Friend. Great opportunity to bring somebody that you know to let them hear the gospel, be encouraged. Maybe somebody who's out of fellowship. Maybe somebody's discouraged. Maybe somebody who doesn't know the, know the Lord. We have 3,000 of these. And so you are welcome to grab a stack. Every week until, until, uh, until they're gone, until the event comes, hand them out. Hand them out. If you go through a drive-thru, hand one out at the drive-thru. You know, when they, when they give you your food, give this back to them. When you're at the, in the checkout line, everyone, just, just take a few, keep them with you, pass these out. We're not going to run out anytime soon, so we want to get the word out. A couple of things going on with that. On Monday the 1st and Tuesday the 2nd, they're going to be doing work days, putting up the tent and getting ready, setting up chairs. If you can show up for either one of those days and volunteer, they're gonna, there's a, quite a bit of work to do. 8 a.m., probably until about noon or 1. It could be longer. Um, but if you can come out for an hour or two, either of those days, please do that. So don't, don't forget to grab some of these. To remind yourself, put it on the calendar. I wanna, we have a little gift. If I could have my three volunteers come... And if I could have all the fathers stand. All the fathers. Fathers in the room. One, two, three. Don't, don't go yet. Don't go yet. You know, honoring, it's so important that we, we honor fathers today for, you know, they, they pour their hearts out and their life out. And we want to honor the Father's Day. And I've got a little gift today um, for, for dads. You have a choice, and these guys are going to come around and just give you a, a little gift. And it's either, either, not both, <laughs> an El Pollo Loco $5 gift card for just a, a quick lunch or a Starbucks. And they're just going to come. We just want to honor give you just a little gift. Give something. So go ahead, guys. So when they come around, tell them which one you want. We'll make sure you get that. But... Uh, you are you are all honored very much. Amen. Amen. And as these guys finish this this up, I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff to come, and he's going to continue on in this four week teaching on tithes and offering. And here's Pastor Jeff. Four weeks. I thought it was six. Oh, maybe it's seven. <laughs> Gentlemen, open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Ladies, you can listen in if you like. Deuteronomy chapter 16. This is an easy one to remember. 
if you want to remember. 1616. 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the, in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. There's a little saying that came along with this years ago, and it's not new to me or original. It says that when we give to the Lord, we should give according to as we are blessed, unless the Lord blesses us according to the way we give. It's just how do you want it? Now, Israel had uh, ten feasts that they were given by the Lord. The Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Weeks, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles. But for three of those, here and in also in Exodus, it's given to them. But they're all the males of the Jews uh, were to show up at the place where God chose. There's some debate about giving in the New Testament, and uh, it's a wrestling match for sure. When we say we've come out from under the law and we no longer have to tithe, or are we still under that principle and should we tithe? And uh, I'm, I'm going to wrestle that over the next couple of weeks anyway for you and with you. But this morning, let's just go with as, as we're blessed, according to as you're blessed. And you're going to have to have some measurement for that. The easiest one that I found is the 10% principle of tithing. And when we show up, the other debate that happens, I underline this in my Bible because I find this principle every place that it's taught about tithing and giving and first fruits and all these events, that the determination was not left up to man himself to figure out where to go to give it. God decided. He said, come to the place where I choose. Come to the place where I choose. Or another way it's stated is come to the place over which I have placed my name. Some people want to say, well, God's placed his name over my house, so I'm going to tie it at home. You know, the debate just stretches out. But if we're a body and we collect from time to time and we gather from time to time, and God says to the men of the nation, three times a year I want you to show up at my house. Don't come empty-handed. Now think about this. Way up north in Israel, they're going to have to leave and come down to Jerusalem. And while they're gone, the banditos that live on both sides of them are going to come in and raid their crops. Happened all the time. They would wait for Israel to grow their crops and they'd come in and, and steal it all. So the men of the country had to live by faith. Because God said, if you'll do this, if you'll come and be with me in these three feasts and be present in my house, don't come empty-handed. I will guard your crops. I will guard your house and I will guard your families while you're away. So it took faith for them to leave home, believing that when they got back, everything would be intact. And the testimony of Israel is that God took care of his people. He always took care of them. It was only when they were at home disobeying him that their banditos got them. Okay? Three times a year we show up. Don't come empty-handed. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, it's a long passage, but I'm going to read it. Yet 
True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You will not see a U-Haul behind a hearse. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Underline the next line. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I like to point out, it's been done before, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money is a medium. Money is a tool. Finances is is part of the way we do business. Uh, We're about to see something dramatic happen today in Greece. We're having elections. And tomorrow morning, that's going to affect the entire world's economy in some way or another, the outcome. Money is not the problem. No love, or it is the problem. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. I'm talking to the men this morning. You're a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And moving to verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. And when I read this last part, I think of the foolish conversations that occur when people say, well, I'm just going to do this with my faith. Or I'm going to decide whatever I want to do with my time. Or I'm just going to give wherever I want to give. When God has forever, your Bible says in Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in the classic passage on tithing in Malachi chapter 3, it starts out by God saying, I am the Lord, I change not. He is unmovable, he is unchangeable. We love to sing about it. But when we say, well, is it tithing? Is it Old Testament or New Testament? God is God. He never changes. And if he has principles to live by and he gives them to us and we disregard them, then we will be the beneficiaries of demise. I I knew this would be a popular message. (laughs) I knew you would shout amen as much as you could and cheer me on. But we're confronted. Do we love our money too much? Have we got our focus in the wrong place? When we receive offerings at the church... We know it's for the benefit of the kingdom of God. We know it's an opportunity for each one of us to be confronted, men, with whether or not we're going to show up three times a year and be handed or not. Or will we show up according to how we've been blessed? And what measurement will we use to do that? A friend of mine used to say, he probably still does, that I've never argued with anybody about tithing unless they wanted to give less than 10%. You know, the person that's given 20%, 15 30 
they, they don't argue the point of tithe. It's pointless. It's a, it's a beginner's. It's training wheels. Amen. So if we don't love our riches, we love God. And when He calls us to surrender in worship, and He calls us to gather to Him in the place where He chooses, where He put His name over, we are beneficiaries of His blessing. He will protect us. He will guard our families. He will guard our flocks, so to speak. Guard our businesses. He will guard our health and our benefits. Amen. He's in charge. We get to submit to His will. So guys, come. And uh, on that, we're going to empty the checkbooks. Give according. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Give according to how you're blessed. Give uh, proportionately. And he makes it available to all of us. Now, Lord, as we give this morning, uh, we've come planning to do it. It's not a surprise. We're not being forced, Lord, to cough up something we didn't plan. Lord, as we give what we've planned, we pray that you will bless it and you will use it. Multiply it to the good of your kingdom expansion. And then, Lord, let us hold you at your word. You will care for us and watch over us and our families. We thank you, Lord. As a father this morning, I thank you that you've cared for my family for me. You've done what I could not do in blessing them. And it's because I take time to bless you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any debates you'd like to have about tithing are entertained in the parking lot after church. I'll have somebody meet you there. Pastor Rob, thank you. You know, when Pastor Jeff was sharing and talking about these things, I, I thought of a couple of people that we're uh, familiar with. Who knows Rick Warren, Saddleback? Um, just found this tidbit of information out on, on him. He lives on 9% of his income. And he has never drawn, or at least for many years, I don't believe he's ever drawn a salary from the church. It's all from books and speaking engagements. And he only lives on 9%. The rest he gives away. Ch- uh, Chick-fil-A. Anyone like to go to Chick-fil-A? Glad they've got him down here. In, right there in Redlands and Lagonia. Um, Chicken restaurant, and you've probably seen them in airports and in malls. That's where they, they began to creep up. Truett Cathy is the, uh, the owner of that establishment, and has always, he's a devout man of God. Every store is closed on Sundays. Restaurants closed on Sundays, and they're still around. Amazing. He, he's been a tither. He's volunteered in the Sunday schools all of his life. Lives by the principles of God. People in the world say you can't do those things. You can't give away your money. You, you, you can't close a business, especially a restaurant on Sunday. That's when everyone from church wants to go out to eat. And uh, so, you know, being principally centered is the way to live. So let's think about last week. We, we finished up our, our, our uh, community time. And I realized that some of you guys just got one of these or one of these. So what you should do is find somebody else who has the same color as you. And meet up for lunch or a cup of coffee and have some community. And we want to, we really want to encourage men getting together, women getting together, families getting together. It is, I just think it might even be scriptural, that it might be good and pleasant 
to join together. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, as we get into the Word this morning, we pray Your blessing upon our hearts, our ears, our minds. God, as I'm challenged by Your Word, encouraged, Lord, I pray we'd all be challenged and encouraged to live principally centered, to bring You honor, to rise up and be the men and the women of God that You're calling us to be. In Jesus' name. I want to speak to men this morning. Ladies, you don't get to go home. I want to talk to us men about being godly men. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power talking about power this morning, specifically talking about the power of a godly man. I want to talk a little bit about David. I want to look at the life of David and bring some things out as he was known as a man of God. David was a man who, who arrived on the scene, God ordained to lead the, the kingdom of Israel, and 40 chapters, 40 chapters are, de- are designated to the life of David going through the kingship. Forty chapters. That's a lot of chapters in the Bible to one man. David transformed the world because he became the king of the Jewish nation. Looking back, it was King David. King David. King David. It is known, Jerusalem is known as the city of David. There they would still refer later, many, many hundreds of years later, to the house of David. And Jesus came in the line of David. David was a godly man, but David was a scoundrel and a sinner. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. How can somebody who deceitfully tricked a man so he would be murdered, stole another man's wife, be known as a man after God's heart? Wow. See, because David was concerned with the heart of God. We've seen in the life of David some, some amazing things that, that set him apart from others. And one was that he was a man who was quick to repent. David was quick to repent. When he was confronted with his sin, he said, that's me. And immediately he, he wept. And David was a man of power. David was a godly man and had power. So this morning I want to talk just basically about three facets of of the life of David and how it can be for us as men today. And some of this will apply to you ladies, but prayerfully it will apply to you because us guys will become more godly. And these things will begin to happen in our life. Three basic facets. But God wants us to live a life of power. He doesn't just reserve it for Moses. He doesn't just reserve it for David or Paul. He wants all men and women to walk in the power of God. Man, He wants to us specifically to be men of power in the area of influence. He wants men to walk in power of influence. He wants us to walk in the power of leadership. He has called every man to lead. He's called them to lead their homes. He's called them to lead businesses. He's called them to lead churches. He wants us to all be men of leadership and in power. He wants us to have and live with power in our homes. Guys, we are not just called to live in power in the workplace. So often that's what guys do. We, we, we amass everything and we work really hard, but when it comes to the home thing, we just kind of step back and allow our wives to take absolute control there. God called us to live as men of, men of God 
men of integrity, and men of power in our home. And he also wants us to be men of power in the workplace. But I put home before workplace. God is calling us to be men of power first in home. And then he wants us to be powerful men in the workplace. He wants us to be men of power in the area of prayer. God actually wants us to pray and become powerful in prayer. God wants us to be like David and be, have a power of anointing. When, Dave, when, when he was anointed, David was anointed, it said that he was filled with power. The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came upon all the believers and they walked in power. And he wants the same thing. And he also wants us to walk in the power of example. Men, we live a life and we exemplify Christ or the world and we influence people. God wants us to influence in a powerful way for Him. In this, in this process of coming up with this message and God putting it on my heart, I, I thought of Micah 6.8. And it was, it was the song that was going over in my head that, that, they, made into, uh, that they took from the Scripture. It says, Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you Oh man, what is good? Like, wow, God has shown us what is good. And this is what it is. What the Lord requires of you, it's this, but to do justly, but to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This morning in the message, I, as I was really, as, as I was preparing over the week and getting things together, I realized that this scripture goes along with the three points that God gave me. And I went, they, they, they fit because the three points of David's life, the first one was that David was a warrior. David was a warrior. And God is calling men to be warriors. We, we live in a time where, when, you know, the idea of a warrior is even frowned upon by some. Oh, you know, that's just, they're, they're, they're just angry and violent people. God is calling men to become a warrior and a warrior spirit. And I went, well, how did that, that work in? And I believe that was in the side of doing justly. God calls men to be warriors. And one of the things that we need to be in war about is walking justly, being just. 1 Samuel 16, 18. Just a few scriptures to the right of the first one I read this morning. It says, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He's a warrior. David was a warrior. He speaks well and he is a fine looking man and the Lord was with him. We see some interesting things in here that they contradict the average man's understanding of what a warrior is. I don't think of a warrior playing the harp. That is not the warrior idea. But David was a warrior who played the harp. He was fine looking and the Lord was with him. God wants us to rise up like David and be the warrior. Warriors fight. But they don't just fight for any reason. Another way I look at it is warriors engage. See, a, warrior, a true warrior is not just out looking for a fight, but a warrior is looking to engage. They don't back down. Warriors don't back down. But they're not foolish either. I've seen a lot of guys rush into fights. I laugh sometimes. You know, you ever, you ever seen a couple of people that are going to fight each other and they don't know each other, but you know both of them? And you go, you're in trouble. This guy's going to clean the floor with you. Warriors don't just rush into something, but they do engage. They don't back down. There's a warrior spirit. When it comes time to fight, when it comes time to engage, the warrior stands up and says, I'm here. 
What do you want me to do? Foolish warriors are dead warriors. You can be a foolish warrior and you're going to be a warrior for this long. Let's just run out and get into a fight. Be wise. A warrior knows how to assess the situation that he's in. A true warrior will look at the battleground and find out the best way to do it. And they will engage. A warrior gets counsel and wisdom from others. Weighs the situation, but doesn't back down. Will plan a strategy to make it happen. Men, we need to be warriors. We need to be those who would engage the enemy. We need to be those who would engage our children, our wives, our workplace. Actually get involved and say, here I am. I'm here for duty. I am going to do this. I am going to conquer. I'm not going to back down. Where's that poopy diaper? I'm going to change that too. We need to be those who would really not be afraid. To, to, to not sit back. We need to pray for that warrior spirit inside of us. We need to heed the words that, that God spoke to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The church needs men to rise up and become godly men, walking in power. But not just the church. This world needs the men to rise up step forward and to say, I am a warrior. I'm going to do all the things. I'm not going to back down from the fight. I'm not going to back down from the battle. I'm going to stand. Remember, warriors don't just fight with everyone. And warriors aren't necessarily angry. But they are not filled with fear. They have courage and boldness. True warriors know what to fight know when to fight. They choose the right battles. Battles for men. We need to learn how to fight and when to fight. And one of the ways, times we have to fight is for our families. Men have to stand and fight for their families, for their wives, for their children, for righteousness sake. God is looking for us to become men of power, warriors who would rise up. We need to fight for righteousness. Too often, I think us guys, we, we just allow the, the sinfulness around us to happen. We need to fight for righteousness. Lead the way and make statements that says, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, business owners can set standards in their own businesses of the practices that happen. On the job site you work in, you can set standards for the things that you'll do and that you won't do. And if you're the owner of a construction company, you can set standards and say, no, we're going to stand for righteousness in the things that we do. God is calling us to be warriors. David was a warrior. Think of all the things that he fought. Even from a young age, he wouldn't back down. You know, in his preteen years, he fought the lion and the bear. What's God calling you to fight? What is God calling you to stand up against and engage in and say, I'm not going to take the back seat any longer, but I'm going to move forward. Think about the book that John Eldridge wrote. Wild at heart, and, and in that book, talks about the, the three things that every man has to do in his life, and they line right up with this: every man has a battle to fight, every every man needs a beauty to rescue, and every man has 
needs an adventure to live. These are things that resonate inside of every man. If you've never read the book, guys, we gave it out last, last year. Yeah, we've got a few more copies. Get the book. It's a great book. Ladies, you should read it also. It'll give you some insight into the, the crazy man that you live with. But God has called us to be warriors. Let's not back down. Let's engage. David was also a worshiper. He was a warrior, but he was a worshiper. There the harp comes in. He worshipped on his harp. He worshipped in song. David was a man who wanted to see God and know God. He wasn't afraid to give God praise. Now, if you think of manly men, I think David was probably a pretty manly man. Fights bears and lions and Philistines and Goliaths and that's man. But he wasn't afraid to engage God. He engaged God intimately, became a man of praise. I have shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy. God calls us to do, the warrior. The doing, it lines up with the warrior. Warriors do. Love mercy. God calls us to be people who would love. Love mercy. Have compassion. To be a worshiper. He wants us to be able to show love. Man, it's okay to show love. David knew how to show love to God. And he knew how to show gratefulness and thanks. These things are difficult for us guys, but God is calling us to engage in these areas as well. Showing God love. Showing friends love. Neighbors. Our, our children. And also gratefulness and thanks. Why is it so hard for some people to give thanks? You know, some people just have a hard time of, of actually even saying thank you. One of the reasons is because that can be, I think they think it's a sign of weakness. Well, if, if I thank you for helping me, that means that I admit that I needed your help. And if I admit that I needed your help, I'm not as much of a man as I thought I was. Guys, let's get over it. No man is an island. We have to have that side of, of love and compassion. It doesn't mean that we... We don't need to look frou-frou, but in our heart we need to have a heart of compassion. Showing affection as well is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of great strength. Because that means that you're confident in who you are. It's a passage in First Chronicles and, and it was when David had brought the ark back into Israel and taking it from the house of Obed-Edom. You know, the story was that, that they were taking the ark. It was on the ox cart and, and the, the ox stumbled and the ark started falling and Uzzah went out to reach and grab it and he perished on the site. And they said, man, we can't bring this thing into Israel. Let's take it over to Obed-Edom's house. So they took the ark and Obed-Edom set it up in his, in his house and probably in a prominent way, you know, they probably moved a different box with a screen, and got that out of there and put the Ark of the Covenant in the place of that other box that they used to stare at. And, and Obed-Edom's house was blessed, the Bible says. So blessed. Everything that Obed-Edom had became blessed. Their gardens, the family, everything. And David got word and he says, the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. We need to bring the Ark back. We need to walk in the blessing of God. So they go down and they get the Ark and they... They make this huge procession coming back and they're sacrificing animals every six steps and they're declaring, and David, the man of God, 
is dancing and twirling. Guys, when's the last time you danced or twirled? But he wasn't ashamed of dancing and twirling. So there's a couple of you guys, I'd like to see that. He wasn't afraid though. He was praising and celebrating God. And if he was real, and I don't know, I don't know if he's a burly guy. I, I don't picture him burly, but he was a manly man. He, you know, burly guys, they don't dance gracefully. He might have just been, you know, maybe it looked like that, but he was celebrating with everything he had because the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, was coming back to Israel. He knew how to praise God and to give thanks. He wrote right after that, he wrote and declared to the people, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known among the nations what He's done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all His wonderful acts, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, the judgments He pronounced. Descendants of Israel, His servants, sons of Jacob. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. This guy was excited. He knew how to worship God. He wrote over half of the Psalms. We don't know exactly. We know for sure 75 of them. At least 75 psalms. There's probably a lot more that he wrote that were unnamed. This man knew how to praise God. He knew how to worship God. And he did it with all of his strength. He was a warrior, but he was a worshiper. You know, a lot of men, they're on the job site. And on the job site, they're a warrior. Don't get in their way. But they come into into the presence of God, into the assembly of the brethren, and they're lost. What do I do here? Be a warrior in your worship. Attack worshiping God. Go to Him boldly and say, nobody's going to keep me away. Think back of when you were courting your wife. Nothing held you back. You would even write poems. You didn't tell anybody that you wrote them, but you wrote them. How I love thee. Because you knew what you wanted. Be a warrior in your worship. Go into His presence and say, God, I'm going to get a hold of you. I'm not going to let you go. Wrestle with Him until He blesses you and blesses you indeed. David was amazing. That passage of His declaration to the people of how they should praise the Lord lasted for 30 verses over and over. And then read the Psalms. David was familiar with despair in the presence of God. He was familiar with rejoicing in the presence of God. He was familiar with every station in life and how it connected to praising God. He didn't just pray and worship and praise when things were good. And he didn't just do it when they were bad. He knew God. He was a worshiper. He was a worship. He was a warrior. He was a worshiper. And he knew that he was a warden. The definition for warden doesn't just mean that those who look over the prison, but it's a warden is an administrator. He's not the owner. He's a manager. The dictionary says that he is a person charged with the care or custody of persons. He is a keeper. 
David knew that he wasn't the owner of the kingdom, but that it was God's kingdom. He knew that he was just a steward. He was just a warden, an overseer of the kingdom of Israel. And because of that, he was a worshiper. He knew he needed God, and he knew he had to rely on God for everything. I have shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Now David struggled with this at times. He fell into sin with Bathsheba because he wasn't humble. He thought the kingdom in that moment was all about himself. And he fell. Realizing though that it wasn't, he repented. He became humble again. Church, men, this world is not all about you. And that's a hard one for us to grasp at times. It's not all about us. We need to learn more how to walk humbly and understand that we are just a warden. We are an overseer. We're not building our own kingdom. We're being a steward of God's kingdom. It's not your children. They're God's children. And He's put you in charge and put you into an administrative management position to take care of them. David was a warden and he knew it. He knew that God was truly the one in charge. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayers unto Thee and will look up. He knew he had to go to the Lord in the morning and seek His face. He knew where His help come from. I lift my eyes up into the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from You. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own and that it wasn't his to do. David really did know that he was God's man. God, this is your kingdom. When he was anointed, when David was anointed, he continued to serve Saul. It said the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Samuel went and anointed David. And yet David continued to serve Saul all of those years, knowing he was the anointed king of Israel. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to the position he was. Even though many times Saul was literally given into David's hand to kill him, David refused. He wouldn't touch the anointed one until God gave him. He understood that it wasn't his kingdom, it was God's. And though he was the anointed one, he was going to wait on God to bring it to pass. He knew he was a warden. I won't touch the Lord's anointed. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Even our body, our whole being, belongs to God. We're part of the fellowship, His fellowship. He wants us to live our lives as dead men, pleasing, holy to God, set apart. Understand and be faithful with all the things that God gave you. And that the decisions aren't yours to make about it. If you're overseeing and the steward of something, you need to be checking in with the owner often. Lord, I was thinking about doing this with what you've given me. Take care of what do you think about it. Think about doing this with my kids. I want to raise them this way. I want to homeschool. I don't want to homeschool. What do you think about it? What's your leading? Because truly these aren't my children. God, you gave me this business, and even this business is yours. 
How do you want me to honor you with this business? Understanding that we're a warden, understanding that we're just the steward of things will drive us to a life of prayer. It will drive us to God more and more because we realize we need Him to make decisions. We need His help. We need His guidance. Even asking the Lord, Lord, help me to see and understand what you mean. How am I to understand what this being a warden looks like? As we're in that relationship with the Lord, Psalm 121 will happen. I lift my eyes up to the mountains where my help comes from. And in times of trouble, you can know, just as in 2 Kings chapter 6, let's go there for just a moment. They were afraid. They were surrounded. But when God opened their eyes, they looked up to the hills and their help was there. Their help was there in the form of angels, warrior angels who were going to fight the battle for them. When we understand we're a warden, when we understand that we're just a steward and we're relying on the Lord, we're going to realize that He has helps for us that no one else knows about. We're going to realize that He has resources that no one else knows about. If, you, if you're on Facebook, you know that I'm praying and I've asked you all to pray for a friend of mine, Frank Gresham. He's an urban missionary and I've done a lot of ministry with him in Hollywood and different places. He, he was doing some ministry in Africa and he got back from Africa. He started having some back, some back pains and he thought maybe he had some weird flu. So he went to the doctor and he, broke his, he found out he broke his back. So they had to do surgery. And he, he's, he's in a cast, and this guy is really busy. For, he's just on the streets all the time, and that was going to be bad enough. And So he's now at home trying to heal from his broken back from his surgery, and he gets the results from the doctor when they did a biopsy of the bone chips, and he's got bone marrow cancer. And like sadly, like too many missionaries, ministers, and pastors, he has no health insurance. And he's got children still in the house. And he's sitting there now. And if you read his thing, he's rejoicing in the Lord. He knows that the angels on the mountains have resources that he can't see, that man can't see. He's trusting in his, in his God to be his supply. He's humbled down and he knows that he is a servant of the Lord. We need to pray those things. Times are tough financially. But your boss isn't your provider. The government is not your provider. All those things, they could, they could go away even sooner than we think. You know, there, it, an economic worldwide crash is not unrealistic in this time. God is your provider. And it might look different than you expect, but God is your provider. But we need to rest on Him and rely on Him and say, God, if I do this on my own, my work is my provider. If I do this on my own, that next job is my provider. But if I do this as a steward of you, you're my provider. And I trust fully on you. Guys, when you're 
raising your children and you don't know what to do. They're not your children. Seek God. God, how, how do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to do? I need your help right now. We need to be men of, men of prayer, men who would walk humbly and even recognize the godly people around us and go to them and say, hey, when you were raising your kids, what did you do? I need some help. My kids are out of control. When your marriage is maybe on the rocks, men, be humble. Be humble. And go to someone and say, you know, our, our marriage is, is rocky. What can I do? I have shown thee, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He's calling us to do these things and out of our lifestyle and be those warriors. Be people of worship. And people who understand that this life is not our own. It's God's and He's just asked us to be stewards. He's called us and He says, I'll give you everything you need in the moment that you need it. It's going to take boldness and courage to step forward and do these things. To step forward and say, I will, I will not disengage, but I'm going to engage. I'm going to step forward and rise up. Remember the old Promise Keeper song and the old the hymn, Rise Up, O Man of God. Rise up. It's time for us as men to lead the charge. Lead our families. Lead the church. Lead all the places that God has called us to lead in the spirit of being a warrior, being a worshiper, and understanding that it's God's business and not our own. Let's pray. God, right now I pray that you would stir upon every heart in this room. Stir upon every man in this room, God, that you would call us to rise up and to begin to engage more. Engage in the places that we're at, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in the church. That we would rise up and take the leadership places that you're calling us to lead in. That you'd cause us to rise up and to serve in the places that you're calling us to serve in. And that we would do all these things with the warrior spirit. We would engage all of these areas with boldness and strength. God, we would engage these moments and fight our battles as men of worship who are seeking Your face and giving You praise and not taking the honor and glory for ourselves, but giving You the praise for jobs well done. That we would engage the things You call us to, God, understanding that they're your things. And that You're just calling us to be faithful. Stewards, wardens of that which You've entrusted us with. God, I pray each and every day, every day that we wake up, You would stir our hearts again and call us to engage today. To be a warrior for You. To love our families stronger and better and more deeply. To protect and prefer our spouses. 
God, each day and each night and throughout, God, drive us to our knees in seeking You. Draw us together that we would walk arm in arm, shield next to shield of other men of God, engaging the battle together. God, we, I thank You for fathers today. I thank You for men of God sitting before me. Lord, let us be a, a group, a congregation that would change our families, change this valley, God, for You. As we rise up, as we engage, as we become the warrior, worshiper, and ward. Bless Your name. We thank You for this amazing day. And I do pray a blessing on every father. Our own fathers who are far off and comfort those of us who've, who've lost our, our dads. Help us to realize that we are surrounded by spiritual fathers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Get your cards on the way out. Four minutes? Oh, come on.